Amen. Do you not love that our kids sing that song? <laughs> wow, we thank you so much for singing the Bible to us. You sang the scriptures to us, and you were happy about it, and we have been encouraged by it as well. Turn with me in this Bible that we just sang about to Nehemiah chapter 8. And we come to a big day in the history of Israel, specifically the, the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. It's a big day. It's five days after the wall has been finished, which was the 25th day of Elul. Now it's five days later on the first day of the next month. And we come to Ezra and Nehemiah leading together in tandem. What are we doing here this morning? Why, why are we doing what we do every Sunday like this? What, what's going on at 10.52 or really 10.15 on a Sunday morning at Rocky Point Baptist Church? Well, we're doing what the Israelites did in Nehemiah chapter 8. We've been instructed by this passage of Scripture and we are imitating it to a degree and following it in what we do every Sunday morning as we gather at this hour. We are following the example of Ezra and Nehemiah leading the people through a reformation. This Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 12 are a reformation moment for the people of God. And the instrument is what we need to focus on this morning. The instrument of reformation is the Word of God. It's a book. It's not a charismatic leader. It's not a giant overwhelming personality. It's not a slogan. It's not a movement. It's a book that was inspired by God to be taken seriously by God's people. So God, this morning, as we look into Nehemiah chapter 8, God is reforming His people, and He's using some men very secondarily, but primarily in first and front and center. He's using the Word of God. Well, let's look at the text. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Follow along with me. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the law had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Maaseiah on his right hand. And Padiah, and Mishael, and Malchijah, and Hashum, and Hashbadana, and Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. 
and lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy. Holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray. Father, we've gathered this morning and we ask you now to help us to understand the words that you will declare to us. We need it. We're desperate for it. Would you grant it to us for your glory and for our benefit? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are many ways to go at this text. I've preached this one other occasion about five years ago. I encourage you to go online and listen to that one. It's going to be different from this one. I, I've looked at this text and I've thought, how do we, how do we cut this up? What is, it, what is here for us to learn and to apply to our lives as Rocky Point Baptist Church in 2018? And I find that there's really two nice perspectives that we can look at this morning to simplify the task of preaching and listening. I think we need to look at this from two angles. The first angle is, what does the congregation do in this text? And the second angle is, what does the leadership do in this text? So we'll take it like that. Congregational interactions first and pastoral leadership second. As we look at the congregational aspects of this gathering, I want to bring your attention to a huge theme that leaps off the pages if you read this methodically, even if you read it casually. We see here that the people are united. That is a huge theme in this text. As the people gather in the square before the water gate, they are fully without exception, united. The phrase, all the people, as I count it in these 12 verses, happens 10 times. All the people, 10 times. There's even emphasis in the first verse. Look at it. And all the people gathered as one man. I like that language. This is unity, folks. These people are tight 
are dialed in, and they are fully in unison together about one task that we will look at momentarily. There's no division here. There's no uh, group of nobles that's charging usury for, for loans, for food, or for crops. They are standing united, all these people, as one man in the square, inside the walls of Jerusalem before the gate called the water gate. I want you to note who was gathered. In verse 2, we see both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. It's a big crowd. That's a big crowd. We took a census last week over in chapter 7, and uh, down at the end, I don't know which verse it is off the top of my head, we had 42,360 men in that census. Here we have men and women and all who could understand. I don't know what the number is, but it's greater than 100, 150,000 people. It's a big crowd. They weren't segregated by age. They weren't divided by special interests or demographics. All of them came together as one man. They're following Deuteronomy 31, 11 through 13. Over there, God instructs his people about what they are to do as a body of people with the word of God. He says this, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people. Men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. Men, women, little ones, come together. As one man. That's what we're about in this moment. We've gathered up and down the age spectrum. And at the center, as we just heard sung, is the Word of God. And at the center of the Word of God is the hero, Jesus Christ. For all of this Word is about Him. So I want you to know for application for us, it is very good that we segregate by age groups at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings. That is very good, very important, very healthy. It's very good that we divide somewhat even on Wednesday nights as we open the word of God and as we seek to disciple ourselves with one another in the ways of the Lord. But at 1015 on Sunday morning, we need to imitate Judah, Israel, as we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we all, men, women, and little ones, need to gather as one man. And oh, have we done that today. May we do it next week in the following. What did they do in unison? Great, they're united. Wonderful. But what is it that they did in unison with one another as one man? I've got four things for you. Number one, they gathered expectantly. Number two, they listened very actively. Number three, they responded humbly. And number four, they departed joyfully. Let's break these down quickly. 
For this is what we are to do as a congregation, as we gather before a man on a platform with a book. (laughs) They gathered expectantly. Verse 1, all the people gathered as one man, and there is expectation amongst these people. When they gathered as one man, look at what it says. They told the man Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The people did it. The text says, all the people gathered as one man and they summonsed Ezra. The people did. And they've gathered expectantly with this Man bringing forth the book of the law of Moses that the Lord has commanded. So I want you to know real quickly, this this time of the people gathering under the teaching of the word of God was not mandated upon them by the leadership of Israel. Although it would not have been wrong for the leadership to mandate such. The people, the congregation here, comes expecting a man to proclaim the word of God. They wanted and they needed and they expected God's word to fall down upon them. And they're united in this. They did not want a new word. They didn't want a fresh word. They wanted an ancient word. The word of God. The great God. The book of the law of Moses. So expectant were they for this occasion that they built a platform. (laughs) Looks familiar, doesn't it? They built a platform for this moment. Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. The people made. They summoned Ezra with the book of the law and they put him up on a platform. The architecture here does not need to be missed. There is an architectural concept here. They raised not a man up into the air. They raised a book up into the air. A man had to carry it, but this platform is for the book of the law of Moses. So they literally put the Word of God above themselves. And they sat physically underneath the book that God had written. There's something significant there. It's not just about sight lines, although that is true. The architecture is proclaiming a truth. They need to be under this Word So they have come to the book with great expectations. This is not a passive, happenstantial assembly of people. They came together as one man. Secondly, they listened actively. Look at verse 3. I love this phrase. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I'm picturing a bunch of ears turning like my dogs when they perk up when I whistle. These people's ears, their heads, their hearts were turned toward the book of the law, and they listened attentively. I want you to note their physical engagement. I want you to look at the posture of the people. 
What happened when Ezra opened this book? Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, the people stood as one man. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Look at the posture. We've looked at the architecture. Let's look at the posture of the people. What a scene. What a scene. Just picture Ezra opening it. And the people rise. 150,000 people. Rise. That made a noise, don't you know? They stood. The text says he read and they stood from early morning until midday. I know what midday is. That's noon. Early morning. Early morning in Jewish context was six o'clock sunrise. Don't know, but let's agree that they stood for four to six hours. Isn't that safe? Three, from nine to noon, three hours is safe to assume that their posture was one of reverential standing because they had high esteem for this book on the platform. They lifted their hands to God. This is an expression of their neediness. They're reaching up to their Father saying, We need your word. They bowed their heads. They put their faces to the ground. This is a a symbolic sign of humility. We're not worthy of you, God. You are holy and righteous and your word is perfect. And we're living contrary to it. We bow before you even though we have our hands up to you. We need it. But we're not worthy. I want you to look at their verbal engagement. Because they did something besides just physically move here. They were verbally engaged throughout the preaching. It says all the people answered, Amen and Amen. What a sound. 150,000 people. You've been to a sold out arena. They weren't saying Amen usually. Imagine the sound, the roar of the crowd saying, Amen. What does Amen mean? It means yes. It means truly. It means so be it. And they are uttering it to God as His word is read. Moses wrote this book of the law around 1445 B.C., my ESV notes tell me. This is 445 B.C. We're talking about a thousand years between the literal day of the exodus out of Egypt to this day. Now, Moses wrote sometime after that, but agree with me that we're about a thousand years later from Moses penning these words on the parchments. I want you to note what the people are not saying. (laughs) They're not saying, well, that's what Moses wrote a thousand years ago, but today that just doesn't work for us in our context. These are a thousand year old words at this time. And they are saying to these words, so be it, truly, yes, while their faces are bowed to the ground. 
and their hands are held out to the author of this book. It's a timeless word. It is an ancient word for sure, but it is a timeless word. We're 2,500 years later, and it's still a timely word, what Moses wrote in 1400 B.C. Yes, they, in this moment, leaned in as the Word of God was opened and proclaimed. And they listened to understand. I'll give you verses 2, 3, 7, 8, and 12 have this word understood or understand. That is the theme of this. Yes, the book of the law was opened, but it wasn't some relic. It was opened and it was listened to attentively. And it was understood. Because the people, as one man, wanted to understand God's Word. May that be true of us. Hosea 4, 6, 4, 4, 1 in verse 6 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. And then verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. These people had a lack of the knowledge of the word of God. And they understood it. And so they, as one man, expectantly summoned Ezra with the book. And they attentively listened, actively listened, and applied the word to their life because they knew they needed the correction that it offered because they knew that destruction came from a lack of knowledge of God and His word. And so they grew in wisdom and understanding through fearing the author of this book, God. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have understanding. So they came expectantly, they listened attentively so that they could understand God. This wasn't the opening of a relic. This wasn't a religious ritual. This was an active worship service centered around God's Word. Number three, they responded humbly. Verse 9, Ezra, or Nehemiah and Ezra, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, and do not be grieved. Verse 11, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Just listen to these people's response to the understanding they gained of the word. We've got grieving and weeping and mourning. They saw that their lives contradicted what Ezra read, what God wrote. They saw clearly how they got where they are. They understood that there were years of rebellion by their forefathers that cast them into 70 years of exile. They understood that even since they had been back, they had not been faithful to the words of God because the words of God had not been read like this to them. 
And so when they trued up their lives to God's book, and they saw the inconsistency, they didn't think the book needed to be corrected. They thought their lives needed to be corrected. There's something to learn there for us. Because the book doesn't change. The book is right. It never will be wrong. We are the ones that shift and change and are wrong. And we have got to come back under the Word of God routinely. So they didn't despise the Word of God. They despised their sin against God as it was revealed to them by the Word of God. So when we gather like this, when we come to the Word of God, when we even do it privately, I think we need to come with this kind of attitude. Father, would you afflict me where I am comfortable in sin? And and sometimes, let's be honest, we need to say, Father, would you comfort me when I'm wrongly afflicted? There's those moments. But most of the time, Father, I pray that you would afflict me with conviction. You would strike me with your word. So that I, in the fear of you, cannot be on a path of destruction, but can come under your word and be in right fellowship with you because I understood what you had written to me. We need to do that privately, and we need to do that congregationally. Very regularly. Psalm 119.92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Oh, I pray that that word is true of all of our hearts and that we could utter those words to God. If your law, if your word, God, if the Bible that you've given me were not my delight, I would have died in my affliction for living contrary to it, knowingly or unknowingly. Lord, give me understanding. Go read Psalm 119 this afternoon. That's what the whole chapter is about. So yes, they are under the Word physically because it's on a platform, but now we see that they are under the Word spiritually. And we need to be there with them regularly. Number four, they departed joyfully. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So they're responding humbly, they're weeping, they're mourning, they're grieving, but now they're rejoicing because they understood God's Word. (laughs) They are rejoicing because knowledge has come from the proclamation of the Word. They weren't admiring a good speech or a good speaker. They were admiring a great God, a great author of important words. They are urged out of this mourning by Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites. If you notice that, they're urged out of this mourning. They're told, do not mourn, do not be grieved. Today is holy. Why? They're not to grieve and mourn for too long because 
through that repentance, they are to rejoice in their forgiveness. Psalm 30 has several verses. Let me just read a few for you that apply to this. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Don't you love that? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's a time to weep, but don't weep too long. Joy comes in the morning. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing, O Lord. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's how we are to walk away from an encounter with God's word, provided that we have had that moment of grieving and mourning. We don't stay grieved and mourned. We cry with smiles on our faces. Because the smile says I'm forgiven for the sins that I cry over. And these people are doing that. I love this. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There was weeping Overnight on that Saturday between the crucifixion and the resurrection. There was weeping and wringing of hands. and Tearing of clothes. But boy there was joy in the morning wasn't there? There was joy in discovering that Jesus Christ though he died ugly on Friday. And though he's buried in the grave on Saturday. He is resurrected and living again on Sunday. You know, I'm going to say this, but I've interacted with Lindsay quite a bit in the last year or two. But Lindsay and I talked about the change that happened in her because she had this smile as she kept coming back and meeting with us that would not be wiped off her face. And as we talked about this smile, she would say to you very clearly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, this is not happiness. Because happiness can be lost. She said this is joy. She chose the word joy. She could not explain the emotions that she was rightly feeling in responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she finally discovered the word is joy. She rejoiced in her salvation in a crucified Christ, buried and resurrected. And she understood how she fit in. To the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. And it brought joy. Not just happiness. She told us in the back. She still has it today. Even through difficult things in life. Joy is to be fought for. And lived in. So there we have it. The congregation is very united, and in unity, they come together expectantly, they listen very actively, they respond in humility, and they're going to depart this scene with joy, because they have been disciplined and instructed, and have come to understand the words of God. Let's look now at the role of the pastor, or the leadership of the people. Two points, the second one's got four points, just like the first. 
leaders we see from this text must be about bringing the Word of God to people and nothing else, whether the people ask for it or not. These brothers are are really, really privileged because their people asked, would you please bring us the Word of God? What What a pleasure it must have been for them to have that request. You know, 200 years before this moment in history, Israel, specifically Judah, had lost the law of God. And a king named Josiah and his people discovered the book of the law and brought it back before the people. That will be the center of what we do tonight in home groups. I'm not going to go any further down that trail. But we're going to look at that one tonight. I want you to know that 500 years ago, the church at large had departed from the Word of God. And there was something called the Reformation that was needed. Because the law of God had been lost in many ways. So the Reformation gives us this phrase, sola scriptura. Scripture alone is what we must be about. And I want you to know that today in modern times, too many churches lose the Word of God in their very midst and depart from the Word of God. And it wrecks all kinds of havoc on people and congregations. It tarnishes the name of Christ in the gospel. So leaders, whether the congregation asks for it or not, must continually bring the book of the law of God, the Bible, to the people. What do we see in these leaders in Judah? I've got four things. We see a faithful preacher. We see a faithful plurality. We see expository preaching. And we see compassionate shepherding in the leaders of these people. First, we see a faithful preacher. The people needed God's word, and so they call on God's man. Ezra. Ezra's got a reputation. They know who to call on in this moment of need. And so Ezra re-enters the narrative. We've not heard from Ezra until for seven or eight chapters here. I want you to remember what we learned about Ezra back in his book. Chapter 7 specifically. Listen to Ezra 7, 6. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He's known as a skilled scribe in the law of God. Verse 10 of Ezra 7. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes to all of Israel. These people knew who they needed to call upon in this moment of need of the word. Ezra 7.11, Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. That is how we know Ezra. That's the emphasis of the biographical information we're given about Ezra. His whole identity is wrapped up in the book. His whole identity. What a great identity. What a great existence for such a man. What a great, what a great purpose to be known as the one that would bring the book faithfully. And God 
always bless His church. May God always bless Rocky Point Baptist Church with Ezra's. We need such. Always. Number two, though, we see that there's a faithful plurality. It's not just one man. Ezra was not alone in this. Verse 4 and verse 7 give us a list. Give us two separate lists of 13 men. The first list in verse 4 has got six on his right hand and seven on his left hand on the platform. The second list has got 13 scattered amongst the people. What's happening here? Well, it's not about Ezra. There's a plurality of 27, and if I add Nehemiah, 28 men that are engaged in leading the people through this time of worship around the Word of God. The Levites on the platform are likely rotating with Ezra as he reads because he read from early morning until midday. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, people lose their voices in six hours of reading and speaking and preaching. So I surmise, this text doesn't say this, but why are 13 men on the platform? Perhaps there's a rotation of men as the book of the law is read. What is the book of the law, by the way? Some say it's Genesis through Deuteronomy. I I think that's fine. I really think it's more focused than that. I think it's the book of Deuteronomy, the second law. And I think the book of Deuteronomy could be read from early morning until midday. I don't think Genesis through Deuteronomy could. And so there's a rotation on the platform of readers. And then there's 13 men amongst the crowd. These men are walking around amongst the people, teaching them in smaller groups. Long story short, I think there's a a group of men on the platform for amplification. And I think the men out amongst the people, because 150,000 people, it's going to be hard to carry a voice all the way back. I think these other Levites and other men are out there rereading the text. That Ezra is leading with. And I want you to know that all 26 of these complimentary men to Ezra. Had to be skilled in the law of Moses as well. Three we see that expository preaching is happening. This is why we do it this way. It's not about the men. It's about the book. And so the book needs to lead the preaching. The book needs to drive the topics, not the whims of a man who wants to get on his hobby horse about pet peeve issues. God can do that quite well, and he's inspired scripture to be written and read in such a sequence that he will address his people in his timing as he sees fit. So there is humility here where the leadership and the people are succumbing to the initiative of God in his word. And they let him dictate the topics. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Let's just break some of those down real quick. They read from the law of God. There is amplification here. The crowd is so spread out that they could not have heard Ezra from the platform. And so they're throughout the people. And it says those men scattered about are reading from the law. It's the microphone system of the day. Look at this next one, though. They, they helped the people understand the reading. 
I think there's two things going on right here. I think there's translation happening, and I think there's interpretation happening. Translation, these people, through the exile years before, into a Babylonian captivity, have become raised up in the language of Aramaic. And they have lost their Hebrew. Because this is a second or third generation after the exile from Nebuchadnezzar's days. And so they literally need translation to happen because the book of the law is written in Hebrew. And these are no longer Hebrew speakers. Boy, there's something to be learned there. Sin separates us from God. But, but in this case, it's compounded because sin separated them from God where they went into Babylonian captivity. But it also separated them from God to another degree because they lost their language that God spoke to them in, in the book. They lost their Hebrew. That's a bad place to be in. Because now you've got the law of God, but you don't understand it. Praise God for 26, 27 men that can translate. Because some of these men held on to the Hebrew because they were the Levites. There's interpretation happening as well because these people are unfamiliar. Fine, we get it translated right into Aramaic, but this is a foreign word to them because they've not sat under the proclamation of God's word. And so there needs to be some interpretation. Here's what this means. So they needed these faithful men and they needed a faithful Ezra to say, here's the word of God and here's what it means. Then look at this word, clearly. I would circle that in verse 8. They read clearly. You might have a footnote in your Bible that says an alternative translation would be paragraph by paragraph. Boy, that's beautiful. This is expository preaching, paragraph by paragraph. The text has the focus of the speaker and the listeners. So these men are practicing what Paul exhorted Timothy to do. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Ezra and these men are rightly handling, rightly dividing, rightly cutting, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, word by word, God's word. This is what the people needed. They did not need man to add. And then they gave the sense. Of the word of God. I think this is application. They gave sense to it. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching. For reproof. For correction. And for training in righteousness. That the man of God. May be well equipped for every good work. Equipping is applying the word of God. The word of God. It's breathed out. It's profitable for teaching. Reproof and correction. And when it's applied rightly. The man is equipped for every good work. And so they gave the sense. Of what they had interpreted. They applied it to these people's 
lives. The Word of God is never fully preached until it is applied. And man, they're getting clear, vivid, strong, bold application right here. And lastly, we see compassionate shepherds. So we've seen a faithful Ezra. We've seen a plurality of men leading in this. We've seen expository preaching. And now we see shepherds acting compassionately with the people. I I, I looked at this this week and I was struck. As I read what these Levites were doing amongst the people, I said, wow, they're being very careful with these people. Careful. Because they have, in a sense, struck the people as they proclaimed God's word to the degree that God strikes us in his word. When one proclaims his word, we are striking us with God's word. And yet, I see here careful shepherd pastoral mentalities amongst these men as they walk amongst the people. Verse 9. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, there they cut them, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, do not weep or mourn. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. All the people wept as they were cut, bruised by the words of God. And yet these men, verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people. They hushed them. And they said, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Do you see that? These shepherds cut them with the word and then they comforted them. There's a picture of pastoral ministry. These shepherds were unlike the false shepherds in Judah years ago before they were sent into exile. God said this to those shepherds, Jeremiah 6.14, They have healed the wound of my people lightly. So those shepherds came to the people. They were supposed to give the people correction for their sinful behavior against God and His Word. And God says, Those shepherds healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Ezra and the 26 are not walking around saying, Peace, peace. Peace when there is no peace. They are walking amongst the people, reading the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Deuteronomy says there is no peace for disobedience against me and my word. And yet after they did that, they chase it with, shh, be quiet. This day is holy. Don't be grieved. They could do this because after they wounded the people with the word of God, they saw the people of God responding rightly. They saw the people coming under the authority of the word. And so now they shift from bruising to consoling, comforting, and hushing them. And they did this because this is how God does with us. They're only imitating the author of the book. Isaiah 57. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. That's God, not the pastor, not Ezra. 
the one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, quote, and here's what God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. These people are contrite and lowly. And I live to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. That's God speaking. I know your ways. I've disciplined you for them. And I'm high and lifted up and my name is holy and yours isn't. But now I'm going to lead you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to comfort you and all of your mourners. Why? Because I gave you my word and you have come under it. And repentance has been had and forgiveness is now yours. My mercies are new every morning. That's God. And I see shepherds treating the congregation like God treats all of us. Bruising. Comforting. And I've got to tell you that a true shepherd will do that in the study by himself. All week long, before he dares to come and do it before the people on a platform. I think Ezra and these 26 men could do this because they had been bruised. And let me tell you, they'd probably been bruised worse because they are the ones that got entrusted to bring the book of the law before the people. And they hadn't done it. So when they come under the word of God, when they are bruised and when they weep and mourn and grieve... They then get to the point on the other side of repentance that they rejoice because they know that God wants to lead them and restore comfort to them and all of their mourners. What a great God we have in this book. So I want to conclude with this. There there we have it. The congregational action in this text and the leadership pastoral action in this text i I want to conclude by asking us some questions we'll look at these questions tonight in our homes what is the stature of the bible at rocky point baptist church that's a good question for us to stop every now and then and ask are there any threats to the priority of the bible amongst us What are some things we can do to better become prepared to sit under the reading of the Word of God? These are questions that we should ask as a result of encountering this text. What is the stature of the Bible in your personal life? Are there any threats to the priority of the Bible in your personal life? What are some of the things you can do personally to elevate the place of the Bible in your life? Come tonight because we need to talk about these questions. And ultimately, I've got this one. How does your individual attitude towards the Bible affect the rest of the congregation? Because from this text, we are to come together, all of us, man, woman, and little ones, 
as one man seeking after this book. You know, there are times when major reformation is needed. The 1500s, 445 B.C., 645 B.C. There's times when major reformation is needed towards the Word of God. But I want you to know also that there's every day a need for a smaller reformation, and especially on Sundays as we gather. And may God reform us every Sunday that we come under this Word on this platform, no matter who brings it to us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would let these words wash over us and bruise us where we need to be bruised. I pray that, yes, this morning, but every Sunday that we gather, 9 o'clock, 10.15, the evenings, Wednesday nights, every time we gather under your word, I pray, Father, that where we need to be bruised, you would... Use it to bruise us. I pray, Lord, that you would make us contrite mourners when we discover that we have not lived in accordance to your word. And I pray that in that moment you would lead us to repentance that brings about salvation without regret so that we can rejoice as we depart from our encounter with you and your word. What a great God you are that you would bruise us and comfort us. And what an amazing fact that you do both with one source. Your word, the Bible that you've given to us. We pray all of this with thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.